Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you're listening to my podcast. It's called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Why don't we turn it up? Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders. How's everybody doing? Hope you guys are having a great week. If you guys noticed, we didn't have a Monday episode. I had a couple guests cancel on me last week. So um, nothing I can do about that. So I apologize if you were looking for a new episode on Monday. I didn't deliver. I let you guys down. So I totally understand if you want to shut the podcast off right now and say, you know what? That guy, he just doesn't know what he's doing. He's a screw-up. I'm not going to listen to this podcast anymore. That's Hey, that's your option. I hope you stay because on today's episode... I think I got one of my best podcast episodes ever. So I'm going to be talking to Joshua or Josh Lipner from Ping GPS. They have an incredibly successful Indiegogo campaign going on right now. Um, I think they're over $600,000. Really interesting device. Uh, Josh and I got to bond over, uh, you know, losing our children, which is always, you know, something that us dads can connect on. But um, yeah, so that's episode is, or that, that, interview is going to be coming up later. If you're doing hardware, I'm going to put this you know, caveat out right now. If you're building a hardware product, you, this is a must listen. Flat out must listen. And when you hear it, you'll know exactly why. Because at the end of 40 minutes, you're going to be like, oh man, do I got an uphill battle. So wink, wink. There's some people out there that I know that I want you guys to listen to this because some great, great info is going to be coming down the pipeline. So what's been going on out there? Well, the world's not stable, so that's nice. There's definitely something in the air, I've noticed, in the last maybe 10 days, 7 to 10 days, maybe even the, since the last time I, I put up an episode last Thursday. Uh, I have been getting some of the weirdest reach-out emails and Facebook messages and, and chats and, I mean, literally some of the weirdest conversations, uh, example couple you know about 10 well i think it was last thursday uh, i got i get this facebook message from some guy and he's just like he just gives me this boom paragraph of run-on sentences very specific to his project it's clearly only in his head so i respond i give him a hey you know you might want to try this the guy starts yelling at me don't give me your 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 uh, stock responses you don't even know what you're talking about the guy and this goes on to the next day i mean he's like trolling me in in, in facebook messenger to the point where I'm like, I don't know what this guy's doing. I mean, I just, I put up a, uh, an emoji of like, I don't know, because it's run-on sentences. It's, you know, nobody could decipher this. Yesterday, we got a really interesting peer chat where uh, somebody just, you know, peer chats are a little widget at the bottom that pops up on our website. And the guy just, or somebody, I don't know who it is, is just like, hey, I just want to know if this is the Woodshed Agency because I searched it and this is the only one I found and I just want to make sure this is the real one because maybe there's another one. I have a, I, I have a form I want to send you and it got sent back from your P.O. box. It's like, what are you talking about? I got a P.O. box. You send something, I don't know. You know, Maybe you put the address wrong. But the guy wouldn't confirm what he's sending. If we could help him right there, he's just like, no, I, I just can't be sure. It's like, this is, this is Woodshed Agency. This is Sean Neal, Jeff Wenzel. You know? So that was a weird one. Just a lot of stuff in the universe. My wife got into an altercation with a coworker, and it's not her fault. It's just this this guy who's you know uh, she's in insurance, and this guy is cheating the system, you know, doing some you know some taboo illegal stuff behind the scenes to get sales through. 
And this guy just blew up on her because my wife's not that person. She's by the book. And, you know, so she comes home crying. And then the, the biggest one, and I don't want to harp too much on this because there's probably 10 episodes of this. My dad's back in the hospital. So my morning, this is Thursday morning when I'm recording this. Um, my morning has been spent with, he's supposed to have a procedure done today. And he's been in the hospital since Sunday. And this is, you know, this is like every eight weeks. So if, I bet you if you go eight weeks ago or nine weeks ago, you'll probably hear me talking about this on an episode. So he decided, I mean, he's called everybody. He's got, he's like rounding up the family. And he's like sitting there tremoring. And he's, you know, clearly nervous about what's going to happen. And I get that. And, and you know, everybody's day is getting blown up. And... I'm, you know, I got my mom, yesterday I had the hour and a half call with my mom where she's just in tears over this shamble. Yeah, th- dude, these life things, man. Woo. There's, they, they can bring you down. So I'm sitting today just powering through, you know, trying to, I don't know, not let my dad's issues consume me, which is happening right now to everybody else. You know, and that doesn't mean I don't care, obviously. It just means that I just can't let this con- consume me. I can't lose days. I can't lose. I don't know what to do. I'm already not, I'm a little under the weather, so I'm nervous about just going there. I mean, it's just so much right now. Oh, and my kids are sick again. So I'm sure if you listened back three weeks ago, you would have heard me talking about my kids being sick. So they've got something again. It never ends. But I guess in hindsight, when I look back on it, this is supposed to be the magical times. These are the times that you're supposed to look back and, and, um, and just, uh, ah, those were great times. I was needed. I was wanted. I don't know. All I know is, man, I got a full house over here in Wenzel land, and it's a full court press. And, uh, you know, for all my point guards out there, I just got to get the ball to the middle, right? You get the ball to the middle, that breaks presses. Or you get the, or you get the press moving side to side. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about? Who's my point guards out there? If you're a point guard out there, you should send me an email. Maybe we can talk strategy. Here's a little fun fact for you. I don't know if you know this or not. You might not realize when you look at me because I'm like a 5'9 white guy. But I went to a lot of basketball camps. Went to Kentucky every year uh, uh, from, what, I think 5th or 6th grade every year. We went down there for a couple weeks to play ball. Then I went to Minnesota to learn point guard camps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know way too much about b-ball. Ah. <sighs> I got to get back in a league too. That's another thing. I would love to get in a league and play consistently. I don't know when I'm going to fit that in my schedule, but that would be awesome. But yeah, so that's what's going on here. You could tell it's a lot. Uh, I'm excited to get the episode up today because again, I just really enjoyed my conversation with Josh yesterday. It was, uh, it was refreshing. It was, you know, we connected on, I think on a quite a few levels of just uh, understanding you know, protection and fear and anxiety and how his product, the Ping GPS, can can alleviate some of those things. And and not even just alleviate, but just, you know, give that peace of mind maybe of 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 um you know, knowing that hey, your bike's not gonna get stolen, your golf clubs. I, I, I you know, if you don't get to this part in the episode, there was a f- interesting fact of like two hundred million dollars in golf clubs are stolen from country clubs each year. That's unheard of. And of course, I have no, I can't back that up with some sort of actual statistical fact somewhere. That's just part of our conversation. I'm assuming he, he did his homework on it. But that's, it, it makes sense, man. You know, you got those, you know, three, $4,000 worth of clubs in a, in a, in a bag and bloop, walk off with it. You know, the whole golf 
course etiquette. You leave it where the one person can, uh, you know, the caddy can pick it up. You know, you drive your cart back. I can see there being a lot of opportunity. <sighs> deep breath. Thursday morning, deep breaths. Maybe that'll be a new segment. Thursday morning, deep breaths. <sighs> so a couple things. If you are tuning into this podcast and you have a crowdfunding campaign that is not going so well, and I know there's a lot of you out there because I see you all. I see you. I see when your campaigns are poopy, right? Sign up for my rescue webinar. I do them Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturday nights, I think. 45 minutes, and it's a, it's a quick hitter pow session in 40 minutes. 45 minutes, I think, is what it is, actually, when it's all said and done. You will have a strategy to get your campaign some momentum. It's free to sign up. You know, you just got to do it. So now you're probably wondering, how do I get there? Well, you got to go to my, one of my landing pages. Go to fuzzywenzel.me backslash webinar. fuzzywenzel.me backslash webinar. Sign up for that. You're going to see some quick tools that you can start immediately to get that momentum going. So that's if you've got a campaign that is struggling. Now, maybe you've got a campaign that's funded and you want to be a part of a community. Shoot me an email, jeff at woodshed.agency, and I'd like you to sign up for our Slack community. We've got over 100 members. Uh, I think it's 112 members across 14 time zones, all who have ran successful campaigns, who are talking about projects that they're working on, new ideas. It's just a great community. I'm sharing tit, tits, not tits, tips, tips. Come on, get your, get your minds out of the gutter, guys. So I'm sharing some techniques and stuff and some tips. And, uh, and Paul's in there and Sean's in there. So we're, you know, we're chatting. So I'd love if you guys would join us there. There's a small fee, but it's a, I think it's a, 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 a nominal fee uh, to sign up. So we got that for you. And, uh, and I hope you guys, if you're liking the podcast, send this to a friend. If you know an entrepreneur or a small business person, you, 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 know, you know, somebody who's looking for crowdfunding help, shoot them this. Send, us, send them over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you guys get your podcasts. I'll be there. So, all right. I think I'm going to go off to the hospital. Going to go handle that situation today. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens from there. And I hope you guys have a great weekend. And I will chat with you all on Monday. Here's my conversation with Josh from Ping GPS. hit the record button we are on we're gonna do the best podcast ever you agree it works for me all right here it is so why don't we start with uh you let my listeners know uh what you are crowdfunding for and uh what your product is yeah uh, not a problem um so thanks for the time today um we are or we have i should say about three weeks ago we launched ping so ping is the world's smallest personal GPS locator. Um, sounds like a mouthful, but it's actually an extremely simple product that does a, a very important thing. Um, it basically allows you to locate anyone or anything uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, Ping works in about 157 countries. Um, it, uh, it's slightly larger than a quarter. It's roughly the size of, I'd say, about a half dollar, uh, if I was going to put it that way. Um, and it's designed to be you know, discreet and, and very, um, very practical. So, 
Um, what we wanted to do with Ping was we wanted to get rid of all of the fluff, get rid of all of the the secondary things that other people don't want to use uh, and that people aren't using with other products and really focus on the core problem. And that core problem is, look, my kid wants to go out and play and, uh, you know, I just want to feel safe that if there is a problem, I can find them. Or if they get hurt, they can get in touch with me. Or I'm, you know, uh, I have a $3,000 bike that I bought and uh, $200 million in bikes get stolen every single year. So, what am I going to do about that? How can I protect that investment? Um, right. So it's it's been uh, it's been pretty interesting. All of the use cases that we've heard over the last three weeks alone, um, but at its core, you know, Ping is designed to uh, really own and, and fulfill that niche of, you know, I need something to locate what's important to me, um, and and that's what it comes down to. And that's how you came into into my ecosystem. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but you just popped up in some sort of sponsored ad. And I have a six year old and a and a three year old. And we were my wife and I were actually talking. This is what's so weird about um, marketing on Facebook. So we were literally talking the last couple of weeks and how my son's probably going to start walking to school either next year or, you know, he, we live with we live that close. And it's like I just don't know. I don't right. know. And I was like, you know, just that conversation. It's like you know the world we live in. And uh, you know. Uh, of course, I'm being monitored like everybody else on the planet, and it's like your things in my newsfeed. And I'm like, well, that's intriguing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, that uh, your use case is the foundation of Ping. So, <laughs> my my daughter was probably the exact same age as your son. I think she, I think she was six, and she was about to get on the um, she was about to get on the bus in like a week or two to go to kindergarten for the first time. Yeah. And we live in a you know relatively safe area, but. I think there's something about dads and you could, you could definitely attest yep. to this. I, I've listened to some of your other podcasts and some of the stuff about your kids. <laughs> yep. Right. So I've heard this as well. And I was laughing while listening, but like, it's not the moms, the moms are the calm ones. Like the dads are the freaks that something's going to happen to their kids. Yep. So, you know, she's, she's going to go to school. And I think like, actually statistically, it's like 68% of all parents, you know, I start freaking out and I'm thinking, okay, I, I got to put a chip in her, you know, like our yeah, dog. Right, or, right, right, right. Like, what, what should I do? Like, how am I going to know she's okay? And, you know, like you said, it's the, it's the world we live in. It's so social and, and viral and all these things are right there in our face, but we freak out. So, yep. you know, so w- what happened was I, I went online and at the time this was, well, my daughter's in fourth grade now. So you know, this was like five or six years ago. Um, at the time, there weren't a lot of options at all. And uh, I bought one and it shows up and it's like the size of a, of a hockey puck. I mean, so I then go and, and activate it, right? I charge it up. It takes like hours to charge like overnight. And uh, I activate it. It's like $13 a month. It was like $12.95 a month. And I just spent $160 on the device. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, your first gut reaction as a person is like, oh, my God, $13 a month. And then you're like, well, it's your daughter, your first right, kid. Right. So, you know, fine. Right. So uh, I do it and I put it in her bag. And, you know, that first day at school, like a crazy person, I, I follow the bus to, to school, you know, and right. she's OK. And then, you know, I check when I get home and I can see where she is. And I really I realize that these devices, they're not about fear. They're about fear freedom, right? They're about like giving you peace of mind. So, you know, you're not really worried that your kid's going to get kidnapped. It's just more, you want to feel, you want to feel like everybody's safe. So, um, you know, the next day she goes to school and it's like lunchtime. So I say, I'm going to just check, you know, peace of mind again. And I, uh, 
and I click the button and she's not there. And I'm like, oh. when it says cannot locate, cannot locate. And I'm going, what? So I get in the car and I, you know, it's only a couple blocks away. So I drive to the school and sure enough, she's out on the playground and I'm like, I'm pissed, but I'm happy, you know, cause she's okay. <laughs> right. So she gets home and I take this thing out and I look and there's no battery. And oh. I'm like, what? 36 hours. I mean, it was insane. So uh, I've been building companies for 20 years. So I start looking into this, not from a building company point of view, but just from a product point of view, because I'm a right. product guy. And I, uh, and I'm like, okay, what's out there? And that was pretty much it, other than the big uh, watches that they had for kids, which were ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like three times the size of a kid's wrist. <laughs> and I called up. So, you know, I start contacting like kidnap and ransom firms down in South America. Like, hey, how do you guys do this? And I, you know, I'm, I actually learn about, oh, well, we embed an RFID chip in their neck, but that's tethered to a, a box on the hip. And if those things are separated, we send in a SWAT team. And, you know, it's like Ooh. insanity. <laughs> so my brain starts going off and I'm thinking, okay, I got to look into this. And literally over the last five or six years, we have watched the technology mm-hmm. and watched a dozen other devices come to market and every time we just kind of shaking our head going, this is not what we're looking for. I mean, right. it's too much. You know, sometimes yeah. people create things that are just too much. And, um, and, you know, it took that impetus to, you know, over a year ago now, um, you know, really start working on this because we felt that the technology had caught up and it, it's always catching up to uh, the point where we could create a, a, a what we call to be a practical solution. Really, at the end of the day, we just wanted a simple solution. Sure. Um, so that's you know that's what our goal has been with Ping. But it's the yeah. same use case that you started down, you know, looking <laughs> yep. about with your six year old. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it, what's also intriguing is that I've actually had another company on the podcast who did like a Bluetooth version of this, and that was always in the back of my mind too. And I love your 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 video and, and your your case study too. It's like, well, it's only it's like thirty feet away. Like I can yeah, thirty five. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I got, I got that. I, I, that's covered. They're right there. I see that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like people ask me all the time, you know, and it's getting less and less because people are understanding. But you know, they say, "Hey, you know, how's this different than Tile or Tracker?" Yeah, and you know, I have one of those, and I um, sorry, and I uh, and I and I tell them, I go, "Look, I, I love those things. I've got them. I've got tiles. I've got trackers. I've got a tile on my AirPod case right now." But those are Bluetooth trackers, right? That's exactly like you said. Bluetooth trackers are designed for short range. They're great for everyday items that you lose in your house or your office that don't move. They're designed for keys and wallets. That's what yeah. they're for. And that's why all the advertising is around that. You know, they're great for my, my AirPod case, which I'll take to the gym. And if I forget it, you know, I can find it in the gym. That's why you play right. that game of hot and cold. But, you know, Bluetooth stops, like you said, 35 feet is the effective range. It's, it's right there on all of their websites. So if you have something that, you know, moves or you have something that is more important or you're going to have a distance and it's not really just people. I mean, I would say that kids and and seniors and people in general is becoming a smaller and smaller subset of our customers. And now we're at, you know, crowdfunding wise, looking at it here, we're at almost 4,000 backers, you know, we got 600,000 in pre-sales. It's been great. But what we found is that the non-parent audience, People who are looking at everything from 
um, you know, like I said, bicycles to snowboards to drones. Drones is sure. huge. I can see the drones one. Yeah. Oh my god! I mean, it's great. It's a great application for ping because it's it's clear line of sight to the sky. You know, outdoors, it's perfect for this kind of solution. It's very lightweight. Like you know, ping is very lightweight. But I mean, we even have we have cattle farmers. I mean, we oh. literally we've got cattle farmers buying you know fifty of them because they want a way to be able to find that lost calf. I guess. Right. Well, you know what's intriguing about that is I think there's a really great Planet Money podcast episode um, where it was all about the the black market for cows, like mm-hmm. where people will just literally, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, back your trailer up to some big huge field and load up six cows, and how does the farmer know? He's not like yeah. he does roll call every thing. day. I, when I was I, growing I, up, I think it was cow tipping. I never knew anybody was stealing a cow. Yeah, seems like yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, they steal them and they, you know, it was like this whole underbelly, like, um, it was a fascinating episode. So th- I could see this being a solution, you know, hide that chip somewhere, yeah, you know, hide, I mean, hide your... <laughs> that's what's nuts, right? So you're talking about, like, the theft of cow. Like, the things that I'm right. learning is, do you know that every year there's 200, again, it's another 200 million, but it's like $201 million in golf bags are stolen Ugh. from country wow. clubs. So these are people who are spending all this money to be a part of a country club. Right, and right. two hundred million dollars in golf bags are stolen every single year. You take a, a ninety-nine dollar device, you know, stick yeah. it in a golf bag, and you could find it anywhere. It's like you know, it's mind-boggling all of the different right. applications. When you say to yourself, "Hey, I, I got this thing that I spent," you know, I, it's either important to me for sentimental reasons, or it's a person, or a pet, or you know, look, this thing cost me money, and yeah, the annoyance. I don't want to lose it. Yeah, the annoyance like, factor on the golf club. It's like if I built my perfect golf bag of like clubs, ah, I have to go and refine them, well, re-grip about, them. Oh, what about a toolbox? Right? Oh, I, yeah. Like we're getting a lot of people who are like, oh, man, I got all these tools in the, <laughs> my toolbox, right? And I go to different places or construction workers or whatnot. So it's you know just I think just that general concept of a locating device, right? You could find your fa- you could find your phone. And you could find your friends using the Apple app, but like there's nothing that does that functionality with, you know, solid battery life out there. And I think that's really resonating with people. Yeah. So let, let's go back a little bit. So where did you grow up? Uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New York, um, okay. went to school in Pennsylvania, and then um, right out of school, I started up my first company, which was a market research company. Um, we measured, basically we measured customer satisfaction when the web was just starting up for, uh, about 18% of the fortune 500 companies. So it was really interesting, you know, 21 years old and full on exposure with the web emerging to, you know, how are consumers and people in general, you know, what do they find important? How satisfied are they? And, you know, kind of taking that with me. Um, and then after sold that company, Moved out to California, went to business school out at UCLA, um, and took over a uh, took over a company called Lowfares.com, um, and that was a travel marketing company that um, grew to be a pretty good sized travel marketing company, um, and sold that in 2007 when my daughter was born. Um, my my wife was a you know hardcore corporate executive for NBC Universal, and you know the kind who's like I'm going back to week going back to work in like two weeks and the whole deal after the, our daughter's born and they put um, Emma our daughter in her arms at the hospital and she's immediately you know hysterical crying I'm never going to work again I'm not leaving her and I need to be close to the family so she grew up in uh, 
North Carolina. So, um, moved, we ended up, you know, I had that exit, so wasn't nothing holding us to LA, uh, and, uh, moved out to, to Charlotte, North Carolina. I actually live, I'm right now staring at our pontoon boat and our lake. I might be the only tech startup that actually has done work off of their pontoon boat. Wow. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so now we're in Charlotte, um, started up another company out here before ping called DMV cheat sheets, which, uh, dmvcheatsheets.com it study material to help people pass their dmv written test which does very well yeah. and um and during all of that you know the ping opportunity came up so have been uh working on that for some time well what was the kind of you know after getting the idea for ping you know what was that first step for you being in charlotte and like you know how, how did you get that ball rolling yeah yeah i mean we've gone through four different engineering firms so i mean over the last five or so years so you know, really the first thing, like anything else, is a tremendous amount of competitive research. Um, you know, purchasing every other device that's out there, purchasing ancillary devices out there, really understanding what they are, um, you know, deep diving into what are the different solutions on the market, trying to understand to the best of your ability the technology, you know, watching Tile in 2013, you know, emerge in the Bluetooth space with a very successful crowdfunding campaign, um, understanding the, the pros and cons of, you know, that kind of a device with a short-term range and then still what's missing. And then, um, you know, talking to people, but that's all on the, on the, you know, understanding the product side on actually getting it going. It was, you know, kind of, I guess the usual in the sense of, um, doing some research into what companies are out there that do product development, um, that are, you know, experts in this space. Um, you know, who do you know from a business perspective mm -hmm. who knows somebody who knows somebody? Um, it's very difficult to be honest with you. This hardware yeah. world, I've been doing web-based forever and, you know, web-based, I could have a functioning website up and running in two weeks that's going to fulfill a proposition. But hardware is a beast. I mean, yep. you know, people say, don't ever open up a restaurant. It will consume your life. And there are days that I think to myself, man, I wish I opened a restaurant. Because, you know, this, this stuff is, this stuff is hard, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it, it's just, it's a lot, it's very involved, but I'm, um, you know, so went through four different companies, uh, and then uh, a little over a year ago, I with one of my good friends, um, who lives out in Santa Barbara. And, you know, once again, you know, we were somewhere and I was like, see, I think we were snowboarding, uh, in Jackson, Wyoming and somebody lost their board. And I was like, see, we need it. We need the device. And he's like, okay, I know a guy who goes to school with my daughter and he's got a product development firm. And apparently he does a lot of stuff in like medical technology. Let me introduce you. So he introduced me to his company and the company has done a lot of really good design work uh, and, and product development work for everyone from like house of Marley, the headphones to Lansing to, um, you know, all over the map. And he specifically uh, is an engineer who has 17 patents in medical technology. Wow. So we started just kind of working on it and, you know, put some money towards them exploring, you know, what can and cannot be done with today's technology and, um, and diving into it. And uh, we've just kind of been iterating from there and, 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 and making it happen.
Well, what was the um, you know what was the biggest roadblock that you think this happened over the last five years? Was it going through all the firms, or was there you know was there just like a headache of maybe the size, or you know what was the biggest roadblock? Yeah, um, it was definitely finding um, the right the right company to help us bring it to fruition. Um, you know, there's a lot of people we talk to even now. You know, three weeks into this campaign, there's a lot of people we'll talk to that say can't be done, can't be done, can't be done. Not going to happen. Can't be done. Um, but it's real. I mean, it works. So I have the product, right? right. It's like a le- it's legit. Um, and you get that too when you're talking to people about these kind of things that do this. You know, you talk to engineers, you talk to product development people, and you say, "Listen, I want. I don't want three days. I want three weeks battery. You know, that's what I want. Right. You know, I I don't want. You know, I want the ability to have two months battery possibly. Right. I want it to be mm-hmm. small. You know, I want it to be versatile. Um, and you get a lot of people who say it, it can't work. So you need to really think outside the box. And I think that was a, that's been a huge hindrance is overcoming people who say it can't work and then still kind of, you know, falling down and getting back up and trying again type of a deal. Um, and I think one of the big things that's been very interesting is the fact that I'm not a hardware engineer, that I'm approaching it as a consumer. Right. And I'm, I'm approaching it as somebody who is just very logical and looking at it and saying, well, you're saying that that can't work, but what if we just did this and this? Not knowing mm-hmm. how hardware works, right? It's just like, well, you can't fit that there. Well, why don't you just move this here? And then, oh, well, because you, you have antenna interference. Okay, well, what if we put that there and this there? And then they're like, yeah, I guess that could work. And, you know, there's... Right. Not having that kind of outside perspective into your own company and your own product, looking at it from the solution perspective, um, I think has helped us overcome a lot of those roadblocks. Well, so the flip of that is, when, when was that moment where everything was kind of coming together for it? Like where, I don't know, the first time it actually worked or, you know, what, 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 what's what been the most positive moment out of this? Oh, uh, yeah, exactly what you just said. The first ping, it's ironically ping. Um, so the first time that I got an alert on my, on my mobile phone, on the app, um, from the actual device with its location. Our engineers are in California. So all of a sudden, um, I think I woke up, I think I woke up and I looked at my phone and there was a notification and it said, you know, dev one alpha has checked in something along that line. And I clicked it and I'm looking at, you know, the device on a street in some town in Goleta, California. And I'm like, holy crap, you know? And, and then I, and then I click on the icon and then, you know, 60, 90 seconds later, it comes back and says, here it is again. And I'm going, Oh my God, it works. And it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing because, you know, when you create a simple something, and I'm sure you experienced this almost with your first podcast, right? You work so hard to, bring everything together to bring all the different moving parts and to create that first thing that when mm-hmm. it's, when it happens and if it happens right, it's smooth and it's elegant that it's this weird moment of elation followed immediately by a huge buzzkill yeah. because, because you're like, you're like, wow, it works. And you just, yeah. it's just like, it's that, right. It's this yeah. like, Oh, it, it works. It does what it's supposed to do. And then you're like, huh, that's not really that fancy, but it's not supposed to be. It's right, just right. supposed to work, 
right? So yeah, it's know? like when my when my wife's like, "What'd you do today?" I go, "Man, I had a great couple interviews. It was awesome." And she goes, "Oh, it's an audio file, huh?" It's like, yeah, well, well. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Think about yeah. think about the guy who like think about the Wright brothers, right? Like they flew the plane and they're in the air, and you know that at some point, like you know, they get up there and they're like, "I'm flying," and then the adrenaline dies off, and they're like, "Okay, I'm in the air. It's working. Great." <laughs> Like, yep. I'm going to do it again, but like, it's worked. It's doing what it's supposed to do. I designed it right. So, right. Um, you know, that was, a, that was definitely a big moment for us. So what does, um, you know, what does the app do? You know, what, what can you see on it? Maybe walk us through a little bit of that. Yeah. So this is going to be unusual because I'm more proud of what we don't do than what we do do. So I'll kind of explain that. <laughs> um, so here's how the app works. And this is hopefully, I'm knocking on wood, but this is hopefully what a normal consumer or, or business even would want. You launch the app. Obviously, you're logged in. You launch the app. You see uh, an icon and a nickname for all of your devices, whether you have one or whether you have 10, right? Mm-hmm. You tap on the icon just like you would on the like Find My Phone app. And then you see a map and you see the words locating. And then anywhere from basically 10 to 90 seconds, depending on a variety of variables, that we have no control over, um, it'll come back and say, device found. And it shows you on the map where the device is. And that's it. That's yeah, the entire it's... experience. Um, it also tells you, of course, the battery life of the device. Um, and if it's an approximation because cell towers were used instead of GPS due to being indoors or cloud cover or a variety of things, it will tell you that as well. But basically, it's, you know, um, you want to find something, you tap it, you wait a short amount of time, and it tells you where it is. That's as fancy as the app as the app gets. There's one caveat to that, which is when we designed Ping, we wanted the brand and the device not to stand for fear, right? Nobody likes mm-hmm. buying fear, and we don't want right. a fear device. So you look at a lot of other competitors; they're all about you know telling you awful statistics about things. <laughs> we don't like that, right? Um, we look at it the other way. Right. We look at it from the peace of mind and freedom, you know, perspective, which is really in reality what ends up happening. You know, you you have you and your if it's a child, you and your child have that feeling of it. Or if it's, you know, you and a bike, you have a feeling of freedom of a feeling of freedom or peace of mind knowing, hey, somebody steals this bike that I have chained up seven different ways. I'm still okay. Um, So what we did with the device was we added a button to it and. The button has what some other devices have, which it has, you know, SOS. So if, let's say it's a child and they hurt themselves or they're in trouble, they can hold down the button and it sends out an alert to whoever you have set up to receive that alert, letting you know, okay, they pushed the SOS button and this is their current location. It does that. And that shows up on the phone, you know, and notification and then to the map. But the main thing we did that's really resonating with parents specifically in this use case is that same button also functions as what we call a check-in button. And this is cool. So when I was growing up, I'm 41 years old, just turned 41. And when I was growing up in New York, you know, my parents would, like the weekends, like I would say, I'm going to Andrew's house. And they say, okay, be home by dinner. And you just leave, right? Like there was no, I'm going to get kidnapped. There was no fear. You would just leave. And like, we would go do blow, you know, blow guns in the backyard and climb on top of, you know, church garages and it didn't matter they didn't know and you would just show up but the one thing was the one thing that they almost universally said was 
oh, when you get to his house, have his mom just call us to let us know you're there. It was always, let us know you're there. So I wanted to replicate that feeling of freedom with this device. And I wanted to empower, you know, the wearer, the child, or whomever it is in this case. And it, it also doesn't just relate to children, which I'll talk about in a second. But I wanted to create something so I could say to Emma, when she says, I want to go to Ryan's house, I can just say, okay, just check in when you get there. And she could do that with Ping. So she can go to Ryan's house and she could just triple click the button on the device. And then I'll get a notification that says, Emma has checked in. It's a dramatic shift in perception because now I'm not freaking out that she is in trouble. She's just said, hello. That's basically all she's done, right? She's checked in. Um, That concept seems to be going very far. And also just the, the SOS functionality, but we're having a lot of millennials who have written in and said, this is great. You know, my boyfriend goes on these crazy snowboarding adventures or, you know, my girlfriend is a huge rock climber or whatever the heck it is. All these things where like a cell phone is in a bag, but not necessarily practical. Yep. They, they just want a way that like they can find them or that they can check in or they can reach you in trouble. So even, you know, even women out, this is a big trend going on right now. There's these devices that if you're a woman and you're out running, you can clip it onto you. And if you're in trouble, you can hold down the button and it sends out an alert letting people know. Well, that's great. I totally support those. But there's a caveat there, which is a weird caveat, which is their Bluetooth. So they're connected to the phone that you have Mm -hmm. on you while running, which is weird because, and I've just, this is just the reaction I've gotten from other women. If you're out running and you think somebody's behind you who is nefarious looking and you're a little bit freaked out, wouldn't you take out your phone and <laughs> right. pretend like you're talking or call somebody? That's the first reaction. So it's like, why do I need this button if I have my phone on me? But with ping, you don't need your phone. You can just have, you know, ping clipped onto you and, and you can have that same kind of effect. So there's a lot of different use cases for it. Well, it sounds like, too, what I was just thinking in my head was um, you could actually get rid of the cell phone in some of these scenarios. So, you know, we're watching our kids with iPads and all this stuff. We're trying to actually limit it. I think it's, you know, they, I don't know if they're, they're going to have a cell phone at, four, at uh, eight years old, nine years old yeah. to do the things that you're talking about. You know, yeah. they, don't, they don't need to just, I just want to know that you got there. That's all I need yeah, to and, know. And statistically, to give you some facts on that, right? So, the average child is getting a cell phone right now at around 12.1 years of age. From a medical research and psychological research perspective, they shouldn't even get it that young. I mean, if they're no. going to get one at all, it should be around 14, if at all. Um, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of detrimental uh, uh, you know, aspects of that. But from a reality perspective, between that ages when it comes to kids of 6 to 11 years old is this void, Right where the kid is probably not going to have a phone. And even if they did, it's maybe when they go on a sleepover somewhere, not the kind of thing that you want them to take with them when they're out riding their bikes. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from the child perspective and the parent perspective, you know, Ping definitely fills in that void. Now, I can tell you as a side note, whether you include it in the interview or not, this is just because we're talking. Um, we went through the, my daughters are seven and nine and, my wife and I have been going through all that same stuff about like limiting their electronic times and things along that line. And we cut off our kids from using electronics during the week entirely. We did it about a month ago and we've noticed like dramatic positive changes 
in their behavior as a result. I'm really, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad you're saying that. I, I think we're actually getting to that because what we're, we're getting like weird freakouts if they have their iPad in the morning for, oh, know, yeah. even if it's, even if it's like 15 minutes where they just like, they can't let it go. Yeah. And we're like, what is this? So it, I, I agree with you. It's, it's literally, it, this will freak you out a little bit, but it's addiction. My wife yeah. went to some seminars on it and she's watching it and she calls me and she's like, I am watching this and the signs and what they're showing me, they're Ellie. They're our seven-year-old. I mean, it is a full-on, it's full-on withdrawal addiction that she's experiencing. And that's like the first one we took it away. And for two days, she was a mess. And by the third day, she's literally coming down and saying like, can we play board games? I want to go outside and ride my bike. And we're like, who are you? It was, yep. it was disturbing and cool at the same time. All right. I'm glad we're talking about this because literally I hit the iPads this morning. I hit them, <laughs> you know, because when they get home from school today, they're going to, where are they? And I'll be like, oh, you don't get them. And I'm going to have, I know the next two days are going to be rough for me. But. Yeah. Well, the, the iPads, the electronics raise the level of dopamine in the brain, right, which is a stimulant. So what ends up happening is it, it creates the addiction because it draws them to the devices because of all the interaction. And then when you take it away, they end up in withdrawal. But because they've had experience that dopamine, what the cool thing is that once you take it away, they need to replace it. And children naturally, for years, right, that dopamine levels were elevated through playing, right? Right, like, playing. So they go back to actually doing what they should be doing without devices, which is finding substitutes for the dopamine production. I mean, it's simple and chemical, but anyway, that has nothing to do with pain. Yeah. No, it doesn't, but it's but it's it's important, man. That's that's what we're doing here. So let's flip a little bit over to the very successful Indiegogo campaign. So first off, how did you go, or why did you choose Indiegogo over Kickstarter? Yeah. So um, backing up a step from there, one of the key things that we decided to do was to not run it ourselves. So you know, we we spent oh, I spent months researching and interviewing potential marketing partners to help us you know, run our campaign. And I want to kind of be, I'm a very transparent person, so I want to be transparent about this as well. And I think it's on the site. But we selected uh, a wonderful company called Rain Factory out in uh, San Francisco, out in Oakland, California, um, to help us with the campaign based upon their experience. And really, the selling point to me with them um, compared to some other places was it wasn't, I didn't get a boiler room feel. I got, a, I got an analytic feel, and I'm a data guy. Mm-hmm. So they, they drive what they do based on KPIs and analytics. Um, so we selected Rain Factory for that. They're the ones who, based upon basically the data, um, you know, they're the ones that felt that given our offering, given our target market and what we're looking to do, um, Indiegogo was going to be a better platform than uh, Kickstarter. I think the other reason might have been a logistics one, which was with Kickstarter, I believe they've changed the rules, so you need to be further along the process right now. Yeah, in the prototyping uh, in, stage. Yeah, into the prototype. And we have the prototypes, but at the time we started, we did not. So, you know, we're, we're full on into alpha phase. We're getting ready to go into production within the next six weeks. I mean, you know, we're, we're really working to try to hit our delivery date that we can. Um, and, um, you know, I don't think that worked out as well for Kickstarter schedule as it did for uh for with indiegogo 
Interesting, interesting. So how did you set up then? I mean, you had to at least have some idea that this campaign was probably going to do pretty well. I mean, you're like you said, you're almost at 4,000 backers and you still got nine days to go. You'll probably have another big swell at the end here. You know, how did you set your company up to handle this much interaction, traction, comments, backers, just, you know, the, yeah. whole, the whole thing? Yeah, no, um, <laughs> some of it was last minute. Um, but it was, it was last minute just based upon knowing what we were going to do. So, um, you know, on this side, on our end, we put Zendesk in place. Okay. So, you know, putting Zendesk in place and then spending weeks working on a very robust knowledge base, which if you go to, you know, if you go to our, our support page, which is, I think, support.pinggps.com, you'll see that almost every question you could possibly have is answered there. Um, and we're constantly releasing new articles and, and, and handling people. But even with that, we're getting dozens of emails a day, mm-hmm. you know, from people asking questions. That's the second thing is having somebody on this end who's dedicated to uh, responding to those kind of inquiries has been very important um, so that we can, you know, be not just responsive, but we can be very upfront with, um, with all of our backers or potential backers. Um, but Z- the Zendesk platform has definitely helped with that, and then a little tip with Zendesk is, um, and this is this is actually the first time I fully use Zendesk for any project. I use Intercom for another business. I have a home built solution for DMB cheat sheets, um, but Zendesk I liked because of the knowledge base. Um, but a cool thing to do for any campaign is the, the segregating the mailboxes. So we've been doing that throughout the thing. It's like a little tip, but it makes a huge difference. So for example. Um, we've got three different email addresses, right? We've got like support, we've got press, and we've got um, partners, at, all of them at Ping GPS. And then, you know, there's a bunch of aliases like hello and info and things like that. Um, and then each one of those in Zendesk, we're able to assign to a different, um, a different group they have, I think is what they call them. Uh, and then each of those groups is assigned to a different person right now in the company. And this company is very small. There's only really three of us full-time working on it, customer service and then partnerships. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of, you know, really good contractors and partners we're working with, but, um, you know, we're able to kind of route things responsibly um, to the right group. And, and it's, it, it makes a huge difference. And I can tell this firsthand because this was not in place when we launched the campaign. <laughs> I was, I was not expecting the campaign to resonate or our offering to resonate as well as it has. And for the first three days, I, I thought I was going to just like throw up and fall down. You know, <laughs> it was like, it was me, it was me doing everything other than press. So like every partnership, every distributor, every customer service, everything that was coming in was just coming to me at the same time. I'm trying to get everything else done. Um, so it was like a nightmare. And Ooh. from a, partnership and distribution perspective, we're getting phenomenal interest. I mean, I think we have, we're in 157 countries in terms of where the device will work. And I think we have a distributor um, uh, inquiry for every single country. I mean, it's wow. insane. Yeah. But the third or fourth day, I, um, I said, this is nuts. And I set up those groups. And then I brought, within a week, I had brought in these two other people uh, to help out. And it was like clouds parting. I can see the sun (laughs) and, you know, life goes semi back to normal and I can focus on, you know, some of the other things that need to be, that need to be handled. 
but having, uh, you know, I think, I think anyone who's going to do this, if they're planning on having a successful campaign, need to have in the wings, I would say at least one, if not two other people that are kind of jacks of all trade that you can delegate aspects of unpredictable things that will come up from having a successful campaign. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I, I think part of my, uh, when I tell my clients, I go, have some team members around, even if, you know, even if it's a girlfriend or something or whatever it might yeah. be, a significant other, just to help with an email, you know, it, 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 it takes some of the pressure off. So, so, you know, using that company, do you, like, what was the overall strategy that you may have done for pre-marketing? Did you pay per clicks or email blasts? Like what was, you know, before you launched, what, what was the yeah. mindset? Yeah. So no, that's a, a great question. So, um, we did about two and a half months of pre-campaign marketing. So we started in mid-November and then we ran uh, pre-campaign Facebook, primarily Facebook, uh, some Google ads um, through um, November, December, and January. And um, while we were doing that, um, we were testing everything, right? Hello? Oh, sorry. Yep. So this was huge. Uh, and we spent a lot of money. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Like we spent a lot of money, but it bore tremendous fruit because what we were able to do was not just build our, you know, list of thirty thousand some odd people who who expressed interest before we even launched. What was far more important was the data. Yeah. We were able to dramatically reduce our cost per acquisition and get some solid, solid learnings into not just who our target market is, but what messages resonate with them, how to speak to them, our brand persona. We tested a ton of stuff um, in terms of not just advertising, but we used a service called Typeform, which is really cool. It's like a, the new kid on the block in terms of surveying tools, like SurveyMonkey, but much more user-friendly. Yeah, we're um, Typeform. We, we use Typeform here for all my surveys. I yeah, like it. Yes, yeah, right. It's great. So we used Typeform, and anytime there was a question that came up with, you know, anything from pricing strategy to colors to whatnot, we would run it against that, you know, list of 30,000 people that we were building um, and, and utilize that to help further refine, you know, the business. So we've been involving the customers throughout that whole process. Um, but, you know, doing that campaign marketing, quote unquote, uh, it's, it's not just to build an email list. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, you can you can get so much out of it if you truly use it. And I know other companies that are like Rain Factory that say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got an email list. The quid pro quo is every campaign that we do, you know, their email list is ours. Yeah. And so, you know, we can, we have a million people who are interested in the stuff that we send it out to. Well, that's great. Yeah. But you're not going to get the learning. They're not going to they didn't come in because they were qualified or not qualified. They weren't coming in because of advertising that you ran so that you can better understand who your target market is so that when you launch your campaign, your CPA is already so low that you don't have to burn through a ton of cash, you know, so quickly just to bring in the people you need to, to meet your goal. Um, yep. And that, that's been invaluable. Yeah, I get that question all the time in my crowdfunding calls that I do for people. Should I just buy a list? It's like, no. It's, you, you've, you gotta put the work in. Go build, yeah. go build qualified people that you know are gonna back this. 
Yeah. It's just- yeah. And I, I know, and I know when I got some friends who have another hardware startup that they, they had a list of like 30,000 people and they spent a fraction of what we spent. Uh, I think they, they got their list at like 30 cents a person. I mean, it was crazy mm-hmm. low, but the way they did that was they were in stealth mode the entire time. They told nobody what their product was. They were simply running um, contests for new parents because they have a, a baby-related hardware product. Right. They were in contests for new parents. Um, and you know they were compiling that list of people who were just interested in anything doing with new parents. That's great, but the problem was that when they launched their campaign, they had a couple hundred backers at the end yeah. of the campaign because the leads weren't very qualified. And they said to me before I launched, they said, do not do stealth mode. <laughs> there, was, there was no real advantage at the end of the day for us doing yeah. this in stealth mode. You know, no. Let people know who you are as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I see that. So, so let's, I, it seems like you might have a pretty interesting like B2B model. Earlier you talked about, you know, selling these in bulks of 50, you know, did that, was that something that you kind of thought of or, or is that something that's kind of been coming out through the campaign where you're seeing like, man, you, you know, people want to buy these in bulk? Yeah, no. So it's a, it's a great question. So we knew that there was some B2B and enterprise um, applications, or we thought there were some going into the campaign and the 50 pack in there was really designed more from the understanding the distributor interest. It was, it was a, you know, that's why there's only three offered. It was, you know, really understanding is their interest in being a distributor again on the consumer side, but it was 48 hours after launching this campaign that we immediately realized the size of the enterprise opportunity here. Yeah. Um, meaning that, um, you know, we had inquiries coming in all over the place from, uh, you know, high-end bicycle manufacturers, golf cart manufacturers, equip- equipment renters, logistics mm-hmm. companies, shipping, co- you know, um, drone manu- like the, the number of different uh, applications in, from the business perspective um, has been enormous. And I think that the reasoning is because the solutions that exist right now on the business side, on the, either the small business side or the enterprise side, well, they're very complicated and they're very expensive, you know, and they're good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, these are solid companies been around for, you know, 10, 20 years, you know, Lojack, for example, the car guys, yeah. you know, they offer a, a business product for automobiles and for high-end equipment. You know, I'm sure it's a great product, very expensive product, but I'm sure it's a great product. And, you know, we're not necessarily going up against that where you're doing fleet management and, you know, mm-hmm. you need real-time tracking and all these regulations. But if you go a level down from that, you have this huge void, right? You're, you're a business that's shipping packages between, you know, shipping parcels or whatever it is between, say, suppliers and factories or manufacturers and distributors. And these are huge bulks. And, you know, you need to be able to locate it because you're not using FedEx with tracking numbers, yep. right? Um, or you are a leasing company, right? And you are you know, leasing equipment out there, or you're that's, just... That's you know, us. We, we lease some camera gear once in a while for clients here in uh, Metro Detroit, and we have no solution right now But besides this. Like, yeah. this is going to be our solution for that, because where's our cameras and lights going? Right. <laughs> exactly, right? And it could be, like, down the street, it could be just the, the table and chair party rental place, yep. right? You know, all the way up to, a, a, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar warehouse and distribution location. So... Yeah. You know, 
I've had people say to me, I've had potential investors say to me, well, you need to focus on one market. Okay. Yeah. Ideally, maybe. However, from my business experience, what I have found is that focus takes on many forms, right? Mm -hmm. And in our case, we're focusing on a a single core value proposition of developing and offering a, you know, a simple and elegant solution for this. And by focusing on that, it opens up opportunities. Those opportunities happen to be across many different markets. And as long as we don't get blindsided by it, and as long as we you know, stay true to these kind of core entrepreneurial um, visions, then we don't start running around like a dog chasing its tail customizing and modifying and changing and, you know, all those kinds of things to the product. We keep the product as it is, make it extensible um, to allow other people to do what they need to do. But, but we stay true to what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was just what this just popped in my head or two. Did you have to do anything in terms of for regulations in terms of using the frequency codes for GPS or, you know, getting it in other countries? Like how, how did you ma- manage that? Yeah, so we're going through that right now, actually. So not regulations, but certification. Uh, right? Okay, certification. Yeah, I was wondering what. Yeah, and this is this is one of the things. Being a guy who who who's a software guy and a web guy, you you're not blindsided by, but you like you under you underthink it, right? Yeah, I, so, I'm not thinking about it. It just popped in my brain. It's like, oh. yeah. So like, if we were just selling in the U.S., which some other people do, right? Then you're looking at FCC certification. Okay, that's, mm, okay, that's, right, that's yeah. pretty much it. Right. You, oh, you want to ship to Canada? Well, you need IC certification. You're like, what the heck is that? Yeah, well, oh, you're doing that? Europe? Yeah. You're doing Europe? CE certification. Okay. Oh, don't forget WEE certification. What the? Well, that's the waste <laughs> environmental hazards in Europe. Oh, you want, it's like, so we have now a, a list of acronyms that we need certification in. Uh, and on top of all of that, if we want to go, and we're going to go, we already have customers in China, which I, I honestly feel bad about, but this is just a reality, to sell in China, none of these certifications are valid. Every place ah. else, pretty much every place else, there's some kind of reciprocity, you know, reciprocity or you know, it, it extends or whatnot. In China, you need to get completely new certification, only valid for China, that costs somewhere in the neighborhood of $85,000. Ah. So, yeah, it's like crazy extreme. So, you know, all these things come up, um, you know, after you start building hardware, you, you realize what needs to be done. Wow. Well, I think I got one more question. So uh, what's scale look like for Ping? What, what, what's the next five years look like? What, what's, what's in your head? Yeah. So, you know, one of the big things that we're focused on is not becoming obsolete. And that means not just, you know, that doesn't mean necessarily constantly releasing new versions because people are always concerned with like, well, if I buy it now, you're going to have a new version in a year or two. Yeah, that's obviously possible. But we're always planning for the future. So, you know, we're looking at really creating a product that will grow with needs, grow with usage. Uh, It becomes extensible by offering things that will extend the battery, extend the range. and, you know, uh, allow us to have that core, simple locating solution that is versatile enough to meet the needs of the small to large business or just the consumer who wants to find their kids. Um, really, what our goal is over the next five years is consumer mindset and business mindset. I mean, we are looking at building a brand. 
Um, and we are looking at being the solution that people think of when they think, I need to track my camera gear. Oh, get ping. What's ping? You know, ping's a locator. It's just a little, it's a little right. puck you just stick on your, on, your key, on your stuff, and you can find it anywhere. It lasts, you know, it lasts a month battery where you have to charge it. Oh, great. Okay, that's what I want. I mean, that's, that's what we're looking for. We're looking at being that solution that people have been looking for, for location. That's awesome. Well, Josh, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk about your awesome campaign, awesome product. Uh, and I think we did it. I think we had probably the best podcast episode ever. I think we nice. did. It. Well, that's yeah. always good. Until the next podcast episode you have. But and, I'll take that the- honor until then. <laughs> Well, it'll be a couple of days. We'll, we'll, you'll have that. You'll have that title. I can, uh, I can send you a sash or something if you want. Yeah. Uh, this is best podcast. Uh. A little certificate. Just so I can put it up for three days, and then we'll be good. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, Josh, like I said, thanks again so much for taking some time uh, to talk about your uh, your to talk about your campaign. It's a really great product, man. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. All right, guys, I told you that was a good conversation. I'm just going to be quick. I want to talk about uh, the song we're listening to. The song is called Changes. The song uh, myself and my co-writer, uh, Jake Stamper, and I wrote uh, probably around 2004-ish, 2003-ish. And uh, I thought this was an appropriate song today just because of how much changes have to be a part of your life. You know? Whether we like it or not, they're happening. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this song. And uh, thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you all later. Feeling so strong now Could slip away without even knowing how You stare at me, I stare at you The war between us is almost through I raise my white flag and surrender at your door single tear could show her you don't need her anymore I don't need your love I just want it I wanted to choose my words but I couldn't I wanted my thoughts my words my voice to be so clear you don't need my love you just want it I thought your words were supposed to be honest I wanted your thoughts your words your voice to disappear
Jesus. I'm 